The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Join me with today's scripture reading, Romans 5, 1-5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Thank you, Eric. You guys can have a seat. I encourage you to turn to Romans 5. I know that that might be a surprising text, considering we're going through the Gospel of John. But what I have decided to do is take a break from the Gospel of John for three weeks. And we're going to have a little mini-series called Kingdom Living. You know, one of the concepts that we've talked about throughout the Gospel of John has been the kingdom of God. We've touched on it at multiple points. And we've talked about the reality of when Christ comes into our life, He changes how we approach the world around us. We've talked about, you know, the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man and how the kingdom of God affects the kingdom of man. And it's very true to say that Christ changes everything in our lives. That when we, when our eyes are opened anew to the realities of the gospel, that we are forever changed. And this includes so many things. It includes our status before God. It includes our power over sin. It includes the outlook of this world, our relationships. It also includes the message that we offer. We are awake and alive to a whole new reality at the moment of our conversion. We are, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, new creations. So what I want to do for the next couple of weeks is I want to focus on how we as new creations impact the world around us. When Christ saves us, he does not save us into a life of isolation, into a life of being, you know, even isolation as a church, he saves us into a life of being salt and light. You know, we've talked about these concepts for a while now, right? Salt and light. Being salt and light to this world, our kingdom, the kingdom of God, affects their kingdom, the kingdom of man. Just think for a moment about this, the concept of salt, because, you know, I've, I've said a lot about it. Salt at the time of Jesus was this agent of preservation, what they would do is they would, because they lacked refrigeration, they would put salt on meat to keep it from spoiling. But salt only works if it's chemically different than the meat. But not only does it have to be chemically different from the meat, but at the same time it has to be very involved in the meat. Salt just sitting next to the meat doesn't do anything to the meat. The salt has to be on the meat. Let's think about light and darkness metaphor as we, again, talked about salt and light. Light can only push out darkness because it's different than darkness. And light can only push out darkness when it shines into darkness. We can see from both of these descriptions that the Christian distinctive, that the kingdom of God pushes against the culture, changes it, speaks into it. It offers a a new uh, view of things. And this has kind of led me to consider, what distinctives are we called to push into the world? As believers, as Community Bible Church here in Nashville, Tennessee, what distinctives are we called to push into the world? That question I have found can be one that's actually a little dangerous to ask. 
Because what happens is that when we start to consider what those distinctives should be, there are many written and unwritten rules that we have to follow in our Christian life, are there not? These rules that say, well, Christians are this, and Christians are that, and Christians are definitely not this or that. We all agree that we're supposed to be different. But where we can struggle at times is what we're called to be different in, what actually should be different about us. Well, that has led me to a verse that just really uh, uh, settled my soul in this reality of like, how are we called to be different as we're, as, as we're called to this kingdom living, living uh, our, our lives of salt and light in this dark world? How are we supposed to live? It led me to the end of 1 Corinthians 13. Now, when you think of 1 Corinthians 13, what do you think of? Chapter on love, right? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, the context of 1 Corinthians 13 falls within this kind of greater section looking at the spiritual gifts of the church, i.e. how God has gifted and empowered us to show his spirit and power in this world. It's looking at the unique gifts that display our transformed life. And the spirit has given us these gifts so that we might proclaim the glory of God to the world. This is this whole section starting in 12 going all the way 14, 15, but in the, at the end of 13, we can see that there's a very settling statement because some of those gifts remain. Some of those gifts have ceased, but the end of 13 gives us a very clear picture of what remains. It says this, this is 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Of all the gifts given, of all the, the, uh, the examples of Christ's power in our, in our life, the three things that abide, faith, hope, and love. Here's what I want to do. I want to use this verse and these three um, ideas and attributes as a launching point for us as we have this little series for the rest of April. But I actually am not going to consider faith, hope, and love. I'm going to consider two of the three, and I'm going to add a third. Not because I can think I can add to Scripture, but because I think it's another concept that we push into the world. I'm actually not going to talk about faith. I, I, I kind of did last week in one sense. John 14 is, a, is what we looked at in those first couple of verses is a, is a verse on faith that we can rest from our troubles because we can have faith in Christ. So this morning, I want to start with the concept I think we all need to understand this concept of Christian hope. I, I know our world needs this concept of Christian hope. I've said many times from this pulpit that because of Christ, we have hope. But I want to unpack that. I want to unpack that. And by the first thing I want to do is actually talk about the type of hope that I'm referencing. We're going to get to Romans 5 in a minute, I promise you. But I, I want us to consider how the Bible uses hope. Because the Bible uses hope in an altogether different manner than we use hope. Just consider how we use hope. I hope that the Cubs win the World Series this year. Right, Brenna? They're doing pretty well. They are. I hope that my girls grow up always trusting in the Lord. Many of you hope that the Republicans win back the White House in 2024. Others hope that it's the Democrats. And I'm sure all of our children's ministry volunteers hope that we end the service on time. <laughs> Notice something about these statements. The word hope invokes a sense of uncertainty. Maybe it's going to happen. 
We're longing for it to happen. We wish it happens. We're trained to think of hope as a possibility, not a certainty. We understand that there's a stark contrast between I know it will happen and I hope it will happen. But biblical hope, biblical hope is altogether different. Biblical hope has no moment of uncertainty. No, biblical hope is a confident assurance. I just want to quote somebody far smarter than I am. This is, a, this is from a Ligonier um, devotional, so it doesn't have the author, but it, it's from them. It says this, let us not misunderstand that the, that the apostle means, this is speaking from Romans 8, the apostle means by the word hope. We often use the term hope to refer to something that may or may not happen. But scripture views hope as a sure thing. Indeed, hope is related to that which we have not yet seen. Again, referencing Romans 8. But that does not make that for which we hope any less real than if we could see it right now. On this side of eternity, we do not see or experience the full glory of God. But this glory is certain. Its reality is so sure that it serves as an anchor to our soul. Again, think of like Hebrew 6 languages, anchor to our soul. Dr. Sproul, R.C. Sproul notes in his commentary on Romans, hope is not taking a deep breath and hoping things are going to turn out all right. No, it's the assurance that God is going to do what he says he will do. Our Christian hope is nothing like our world's hope. It's nothing it's, it's, it's never, this, our Christian hope is never something like a wish or a dream. Rather, it's the expectation of future certainty. Hear that. When we talk about hope as believers, the hope of Christ, it's the expectation of future certainty. There's no hoping, wishing, longing, maybe uncertainty. It is an expectation of future certainty. You know, there's one thing that we can all agree upon both light and dark, the world and us. And that is we can all agree upon the fact that the world seems very fragile these days, does it not? The reason that we're, we're doing this is because I, I just, as I'm looking out at the world we live in, it's a broken place. And the message that we have, hope, love, and then I'll, the third one is forgiveness. The, the message that we have as the body of Christ, this world so desperately needs. I mean, let's just think about the, the fragility that we've lived through recently. It feels like anything could happen. I mean, COVID was a surprise to all of us, right? Like the impossible actually happened. 20 years ago, there's a financial recession. Now it seems like we're on the brink of one, or some people say we're in one. I mean, there's global terrorism and wars that are looming in the distance. Many of us fear nuclear attacks and banking system collapses and hackers taking down the government. And that is just the society-level anxieties. That's the stuff that we all agree upon is broken. Then there's the personal stuff. It's interesting. As I did some research this week, I stumbled upon an article by a um, Harvard psychologist by the name of Steven Pinker. And he observes that empirically we are living healthier and longer lives. Nevertheless people feel more culturally and emotionally dislocated than ever. Younger generations are experiencing far more depression and anxiety than those that came before them. We can feel the cultural anxiety today. There's a real pessimism about the future that he has never seen in his lifetime. If our world needs something now, it, it, it desperately needs this one thing, and that is hope. And not a hope that is riddled with uncertainty and wishful thinking but a sure hope, a steadfast hope, a hope that will not disappoint.
guess what? As believers, we can offer that. We trust in that. We can proclaim that. That's the thing that we can push into the darkness. Let's return to Romans 5. As um, Eric, Eric read it earlier, says this, Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, through him, we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I mean, the Christian faith that we trust in, that, that Paul just you know, proclaims to us in just those few short five verses, the Christian faith boasts of a great hope. We believe that God became man. We believe that this God-man lived a perfect life died a sacrificial death in the place of his people, rose from the dead in an incorruptible body, ascended into heaven, and is going to return the way he left to judge the world and usher into his kingdom. These are quite some claims, are they not? But this is what we get to proclaim. In fact, believer, saint, you've been empowered with a hope that this world desperately needs. You've been empowered with a gift that you can share and proclaim to everyone you come in contact with. We as his children of the kingdom of God have a message that will cut through all the unknowns, all the what ifs, all the maybes, all the uncertainties, and we get to offer rest for everyone's soul. What I am really excited to do this morning is to open up for us all and to remind all of us of this message of hope that we carry in our lungs. Because I am jealous for you to proclaim this hope as you walk around in your daily lives. I'm jealous of you to first believe this hope. So when somebody looks at you and says, why aren't you despairing more? Why aren't you freaking out? Why aren't you afraid of what's happening? You can say, because I have a hope inside of me that gives, that ignites my soul and does not uh, point me towards dread, but point me towards life. And so what I want to do, just for the time that remains, is remind ourselves of the hope that we have. It's a three-dimensional hope that we have. And I, I have to give credit where credit is due here. I'm borrowing this um, structure, this three-dimensional hope, from another author. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give the title of it. I found this in Core Christianity, which is a, um, a blog out there. And it, this was a message that was offered January in, in January 2023 by Nathan Worm, Wormel, and the title is What is Christian Hope? I'm stealing, I'm going to steal his, his points, but they were so good, I'm like, I'm not going to recreate the wheel here. I'm just going to give him credit, and we're going to go on. Here's the three-dimensional hope that we trust in. It's a hope that is oriented towards the future, number one. It's a hope that is grounded in the past, and it's a hope that is sustained in the present. I want to walk through those. It's a hope that's oriented towards the future, grounded in the past, and sustained in the present. First, a hope that is oriented towards the future. The Christian hope that we have is the hope in the coming kingdom of God. The Christian hope that we have is the enthusiastic expectation of a better life. You know what's really interesting to me? is to see some Christians who are just 
really pessimistic. Like they're just down. They're like, oh, it's got to get worse before it gets better. This is just, you know, we're, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. This isn't going to work out well. That doesn't sound hopeful, right? Like Christians at times can, can seem the most downtrodden. The hope that we have is one in, in an optimistic, enthusiastic future. We get to live with excitement now. Why? Because we know, not, not uncertain, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ is going to return, that he is coming, that the kingdom of God is coming. Now, somebody could ask, what are you so excited about? Because, again, just think of that list that I referenced, both just at the society level and then I know at the personal level. Somebody could say, there's nothing to be hopeful over. Because there's, uh, you know, the, the financial sector could crash and the wars are going on and, uh, you know, global warming or whatever else. I mean, all these people can just be hyped up by all this garbage and brokenness around. They go, what are you so excited about? The hope that we have can be categorized by three things. Because it can be categorized, well, the kingdom of God rather could be categorized by three things. Number one, it's a life live together with God. We can be hopeful that we get to live a life together with God and his people under God's reign. That's number two, enjoying God's ruling and blessing through Christ the King. What we get to be hopeful about is that we will live life together with God's people under God's reign, enjoying God's rule, reigning, and blessing through Christ the King. This is what we looked at last week. John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And where did Jesus immediately go to? For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I shall come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. This is hope that we can trust in. We get to sit here knowing that our Savior is going to return. Christ has, has gone to prepare a place for us, and where he will be, we, we will be with him also. The people of God forever will be with him, obeying God's reign perfectly and enjoying Christ the King. I know we get to walk around and proclaim that hope. Something better is coming. Guess what people are going to say? How do you know? How do you know? How can you trust? How can you say that that's a sure thing? How, do you, how can you be optimistic about the future? It's because our hope, second, is grounded in the past. That's how we can know. Because it's grounded in the past. Our future hope is grounded in what has already happened. Look at Romans 5 again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have obtained access into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of god since we have been justified that is looking at past tense but that that's what has happened we now have future reality peace with God, and we can boast in the hope that, again, we currently have in the glory of God. God has been faithful to his promises by sending us his son. Christ's birth addressed the problem of the alienation with God, and by coming to us himself, he brought us near. 
Christ's death has addressed the problem of our sin. He's canceled the record of our sin debt by nailing it to the cross. Christ's resurrection has addressed the problem of our decaying bodies into a broken world. The glory of his resurrection was a preview of the same resurrection of all of God's people will experience in his kingdom, of this new creation. Therefore, our future hope is grounded in what Christ has already done for us in history. That's why when somebody walks up and goes, you're crazy for believing anything good's going to happen. No, I'm not crazy for believing it because he came and he died and he rose again. Do you realize that if the resurrection had not happened, there would be absolutely no future hope? All of our uncertainty would be reasonable. But because of the resurrection, because we can historically look at the resurrection and not only from the Bible, but also historical documents and say, Jesus Christ, the man in Nazareth 2,000 years ago, rose from the grave, that we can sit here today and say, because God was faithful then, there's a time in our life when we're going to be with God's people, obeying God's reign, worshiping Christ our King forever. But third, it's a hope that is sustained in the present. Our hope is not only grounded in Christ's past work, but it's sustained in the present. Look where Paul goes in this section. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame. You see, just stopping there, if, if we walked around with this message of Christ's hope and we saw no change whatsoever, we, it's like we just had this thing, but it's like, okay, there's, you're saying this will happen, but there's no effects of it. People would call us crazy, right? But the hope that we have, we can actually see the Lord working. This is why the hope it does not make us shameful that we're not just acting like fools and sounding like fools. No, rather we can see it working because this is, as we continue in 5.5, 5, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says we can trust in the future hope that we have because we see the Holy Spirit creating new faith now. I know that we like to look at Hebrews 11 and say that's the great cloud of witnesses there and that's the hall of, of heroes and that's the picture of faith. And it is. But we are also a part of that great cloud of witnesses. Our faith also proclaims to a dark and dying world that Jesus is real. The fact that you're sitting here today and believe what you believe and can say that Christ changes everything is a demonstration that our hope does not put us to shame. It's a demonstration that we're not crazy because, listen, Christ has done things in my life that can only be described as supernatural power of God. Christ has done things in your life that can only be described as a supernatural power of God. The only expectation that we can have is we have a hope in the reality that the Spirit and God is working in us and through us. And this hope is real because the Holy Spirit is creating new life, new faith, and is strengthening our faith as we walk through this life. The kingdom of God is breaking into our present world through the Holy Spirit by making new creations out of people like you in me. That's why I say I, I, I want us all to understand that we are walking around carrying this message of hope in our lungs. 
This is what we get to proclaim every single day to every single person. We are a people of hope. I mean, we stand out in a world. We stand out in a very dark world and a very depressing world and a very uncertain world because we stand out in a world and says, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I do know that my Savior is going to return. I do know that there is a sure and steadfast future reality in which we can rest in today. I do know that while this body might be decaying and broken, that one day, just like my Savior, I'm going to be resurrected to a new body, to a new heavens and new earth, to a new reality where this pain is gone. I do hope that a, a, a part of this series that we're going through is going to excite your soul to proclaim Christ to everyone that you come in contact with. Because this is the hope that we offer to the world. We are, in fact, living in a very different kingdom. We are living in the world, but we are not of the world. With a very different ruler and a very different future. But do you know what's amazing? Is that our king, our Lord, our Savior, commands us, urges us, longs for us to go and share this hope with the world that we live in. He doesn't say, lock it down, it's just for you. I mean, it's a treasure. It is the most precious treasure. And instead of saying, don't go share it with anyone, he says, no, go share it with everyone. You know, we all went through the very same things the last couple of years. We all experienced COVID. We've all experienced the financial recession. We've all experienced the global terrorism. We've all experienced, you know, all the fears of bank collapses and hackers taking down, taking down governments. But we get to experience it in an altogether different hope. I have no idea what's going to be on the news tomorrow. I have no idea what's going to be in your life next week. I have no idea what the doctor's going to say at your next checkup. I have, I have no idea. That's, that's, that's the scariness of this world. I have no idea. But here's what I do know. We can solidly rest in the finished work of Christ. And we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have hope waiting for us in heaven. This is going to be a, a, a shorter sermon, but as we turn our attention towards communion, that's why we get to, you know, be reminded of every week what Christ has done for us. Because our future orientation needs to be reminded of about his past promises. Everyone knew from the very beginning, and what I mean by that is when Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately knew something has to happen. Something has to come and change this. Something has to come and remedy this. Something has to come and reconcile us to God because right now there's a barrier. I mean, immediately they tried to cover themselves with, with um, fig leaves. And then there was the barrier with a, an angel standing in front of the, of the, of the garden. And, and then there's that barrier that, uh, you know, the, uh, animal sacrifices needed to be had in order to come before God. They understood that barrier. People understand that barrier. You don't have to tell them about that barrier. 
They know about that barrier. They feel that barrier. They feel the offense that they are towards God, the fact that they are at enmity with their creator. And yet God sent his son to take on flesh, to do what only we could do, or only what he could do, because we couldn't. And that is live the perfect life and die the perfect death and become a substitute for us. And so as we take this table together this morning, we get to be reminded once again of the hope that we have, not because of what you have done, not because of what I have done, but because of what Christ has done. Let's pray, and we can take this together. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this hope that we have. We can rest. We can rest in the truth of the gospel. We can rest knowing that you are good. We can rest knowing that despite our brokenness and failures, you have made all things new. Lord, use us this week, as always, to proclaim your glorious hope to this dark world. Lord, allow us as your kingdom of priests to enter into this dark world and be a part of it enough so that people can see that we're different. Or just as, as a salt is, it's chemically different and, yes, and yet it's involved. Lord, allow us to live that style of life. Not running from the darkness, but running to it, not to join it, but to proclaim your light to it. Lord, just thank you for this table. That it reminds us through these elements that our hope is not found in us, but it's found in you. Speak with us now in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.